by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Down the Psalms 23 path that we've been on for quite some time. Psalms 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. And that leads us to tonight's passage. Our text for tonight's in verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup, it runs over. That's some good news. Sounds like it's going to be a good message, don't it? <clears throat> if you just keep reading the Word of God, you're going to see it all turns out all right. Talking about preparing a table, I think about my grandmother when I think about preparing a table. She was married to a big old Italian, and she wasn't Italian herself, but by the time uh, she learned to cook like an Italian, you couldn't tell the difference. And I don't know what it is about, I don't know if it's just Italians or if it's just grandmas, but she would cook a spread. When she set a table, it may have four or five different entrees, different meats, you know, and seven or eight vegetables and dessert afterwards and a salad, and it was like, wow. And it would be just like three of us or something, you know. And, and if I was there, she, a, long, a long time ago, she asked me, what's your favorite food? And I just got through eating some of her lasagna, and I said, it's lasagna. And you know what? Every time I came, in the middle of the week, weekends, it didn't matter, there was lasagna on that table. Does anybody have a grandmother like that? That's how she expressed her love. She, she liked to set a feast before us, and she took pleasure in seeing us enjoy it. And that's the way God is. In fact, Luke 12, 37, it says, The servants who are ready... And they're waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself, meaning Jesus, will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. So Jesus, he's done all the work. He's up there preparing a place. He's up there ever living to make intercession for us, keep us straight. <laughs> and, and when we get there, we're not going to immediately serve him, he can't wait to put on an apron and serve us. I don't know how that strikes you, but when I think about who he is, he's the Jesus that walked on the water. He's the Jesus that healed the lepers. He's the Jesus that was raised from the dead. He's the Jesus that started this whole thing because it says that he created the worlds. For him and by him that we live and move and have our being. He was, he was the one that it's all about. It's all about him, the Bible tells us. But yet, he wants to make it about us. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Sometimes it's just amazing to think that God would even care about humanity as a whole. But when you think that the God of all the universe 
in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ cares about you individually and wants and was willing to die for you. Come on now, we just make this clicheous. Is that a word? Clichéic? <laughs> clicheous? It, it's good. It's close. It's close. You know what I'm talking about. As humbling as it is to imagine, the Lord longs to bless us. That's what love does. It, it proves he is who he says he is. He's going to sit us at a table and serve us. Say, come to the table. Y'all going to have to help me better than that. Say, come to the table. All right. The Lord prepares a table before us. And on the Lord's spread, you know, that's what it, uh, I looked it up in the, in the Greek when he was saying uh, uh, that he prepares a table. That word table could also be used as a spread. You know what we mean when you say a spread. He prepares a spread before us, and his spread includes unconditional love. That's pretty nice because we all need that. Grace, mercy, kindness, compassion, peace. How about this one? Rest, joy, happiness, abundance. These are good things. That's, that, that's the kind of table that I want set before me. I don't know about you. And everything else that his precious Holy Spirit might refresh us with for our journey down here. These are precious promises, aren't they? He not only meets my needs, but he often exceeds my wants. Could you testify to that? I mean, we, we look at God, and we, also, we often say, well, he's going to meet our needs, you know, and like he's just enough to get, barely get by. But that's not the God I've experienced. Since I've known him and walked with him, all I have to do is think about something that I want, and he brings it to pass, and way better than I could have made it come to pass myself. And I'm just astounded. I don't know how he does it, uh, how money grows in my checking account or how shirts glow, grow in my closet, but it just happens. He just blesses me all the time. But he lays out this big feast, and he won't force us to eat because he, he never goes against our will. He gave us a will, and he won't break our will. Really, our will is one of the strongest things in the universe. It's one of the one things God won't cross. He won't break your will to, to, you know, for your life. He won't make you do something. So he lays out this big spread, but we don't have to eat it. But, but why wouldn't you? Why would you not partake of the things of God? It might be because you don't know that they're for you. Maybe because you don't think you deserve it. But who does? Are you different than anyone else? Has anyone else got it all together? Does, is there somebody out there that deserves their Savior dying on that cross for them? Is there anybody out there that deserves all this peace and joy? No, we're all in the same boat. If, if he was willing to die and to pay the price to set that feast out, is it, it's a good chance that we ought to just go on and humble ourselves and partake of it. Let's turn to Luke 15. We'll start, I've got on that sheet, I think, starting in 11, but we're going to start in 16. Luke 15, 16. Jesus is illustrating. Illustrating the point further, <coughs> excuse me, the point he's trying to make is his goodness. 
if you, if you read back from there. But in verse 16, we'll start. This is this parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, the one who wanted their inheritance now before their father died. And so he split his wealth with his two sons, and one went off and spent his on riotous living, and then times got bad. You, you know how that works. You go out into the world thinking the world's going to take care of you. You spend all your money on riotous living, and then the world fails you, and then nobody's there to help you. That's the way the world operates. If you think all, all those guys or gals got you back, you know, that are your friends in the nightclubs, well, wait till you run out of money, and, and then you'll see. But anyway, verse 16 says, The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. That doesn't sound like a feast. <laughs> That's the kind of spread you get in the world. But no one gave him anything. Like I said, they're not going to give you anything. But when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. What does he mean at home? Well, if this is just a parable and it's showing us a bigger illustration, it's saying back into the kingdom of God, back, back where you belong with God, doing the things of God. Even the hired servants have plenty to eat. He says, I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's willing to humble himself. Well, I guess he's not humbling himself. He's being humbled. There's a big difference. And uh, maybe some of us could consider that, that if we would humble ourselves, we would not need to be humbled. It's much better, I've learned, to humble myself than have God humble me. So often I'll go to God and say, God, please help me humble myself. Show me if there's pride rising up, because it rises up in all of us at times. And so we have to keep that beat down so we don't have to get beat down in the humbling process. <laughs> So he says, just please take me on as a hired servant. Verse 20, he says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe out of the house and put on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. I like that. He was waiting for the day, waiting for the opportunity for this feast. He was fattening a calf already. He had one, on, he had one going. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. You see, that's why God has prepared a feast before us, a table before us. Because we were once lost, and now we're found. We were once dead, and now we're alive. We were in darkness, but he brought us into the light. And now he wants to celebrate. He wants our life to be a celebration of the resurrection in him and in us. He was lost, but now he is found. And it says, so the party began. Man, when you're right with God, let the party begin. Party down. You think we used to party back in the old days? We're going to have a Holy Ghost party, and a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Ain't that what it's saying? <laughs> of course, there was the older brother, and he came in and said, what's going on in here? Why are they having a big party? And he found out his son, who, his brother, I mean, that uh, had gone off and done all the bad things. He was upset that they were throwing a party, and the, and the dad said, look, you've been with me always. You could have done this. <laughs> we could have partied every night. 
I got plenty of calves. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, God would say to you. I got this. What, what, why are you not partying? Why are we not feasting? Look, you've been with me a long time. You start to think, you start to get a little religious on me, like your, your Christianity is, you know, a religion and not a relationship. You know, you, you're not fellowshipping like you, 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 want to, you ought to. Say, come to the table. Let the party begin. <laughs> All right, it says that thou preparest a table before me. Now, the Lord's sumptuous feast doesn't have to be ordered. You don't have to wait for it to be cooked. It's pre-prepared. The bill has already been paid, and the feast prepared in advance from the cross. Psalms 145, 16 says, When you, meaning the Lord, open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. Only God can satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. And Jesus opened his hands for us. He let them nailed nails right through them. And if he was willing to open his hand, the Bible says if God was willing to give his own son, won't he also freely give us everything that we need? That need to give us the desires of our heart? Man, he's not trying to withhold from us. He's not stingy. If, you're, if your heart is in the right place, I don't think there's anything God would withhold from you. If you have the faith to receive it and your heart is lined up with his heart and it's good for you, I don't think God would withhold anything from you. The only thing he'll withhold is things that won't lead you in the right path. But I found that he is more than willing to, to bless you in every way when you're walking the path of righteousness. He's, he's leaving out that provision every step of the way. He makes a way when there seems to be no way. Jesus is he's our personal chef. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He's going ahead of us. See, he prepares a table, not behind us, but before us. And he's going ahead of us. He will be with you, and he will neither fail nor abandon you. He's leaving out provision all along the way. And we don't have to worry about gathering too much manna. You remember when they were in the wilderness, and they were hungry, and God began to rain manna, and that was the way their substance in the, in the wilderness? And he told them, you know, just get enough for the meal, don't overdo it. Don't try to save all a bunch of manna up, but what'd they do? They tried to hoard it up. Man, we got to have some for tomorrow. And then what happened? Overnight, it all rotted and began to stink and had bugs in it and everything. And see, that's the way God wants us. David said, don't give me more than I need so that I, you know, I'll forget about you, but don't give me less than I need so that I'll have to rob and shame your name. But just give me what I need. Just give me what, what I need for the moment. See, we're, some of us are trying to gather it all up, and, and we're building big barns and putting it in the barns and saying, I have plenty to let, you know, for my old age or whatever and for all this. I'm not saying don't have savings accounts or anything like that. I'm just saying don't put your faith in your stuff. Just, get, just know that God is going before you, 
And he's laying out provision every step of the way. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Who by worrying can add one cubit to their stature or one second to your life? In fact, you're taking it away. Worrying will kill you sooner. Lamentations 3.22 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. His love, you can't get to the end of it. And his mercy never stops. And great is his faithfulness, and his mercies begin afresh each morning. So his manna's coming again tomorrow. It's coming again tomorrow. Don't hoard up and save and hold on and, and be afraid about what's, what's coming down the pike and listening to the news reports and watching the S&P 500 or whatever it is, or the Indianapolis 500, whatever you watch. You know, <laughs> just take a deep breath and say, hey, his mercy's new every day. His sorrow may last for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. Look at it. When the worst thing ever happened to you, or you did the worst thing you thought you would never do, and you felt so bad, it felt like, man, the sun's not even coming up tomorrow. But did it come up? It came up again. Proof that his mercy's new every day. He's got this. He's on top of things. Don't worry. Say, come to the table. And all of this, the funny thing is, all of this, it happens where? In the presence, not, not you, in the presence of our enemies. Now some, of, some of you got somebody in mind right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd like them to see this happen to me. Yeah, you got somebody in mind. You got an enemy sticking. Well, no, that's why we're going to go to this scripture, Ephesians 6, 12. Let's find out who our real enemy is before we go on. I don't want, <laughs> I want you to get the wrong idea. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So that rules out people, doesn't it? You know, I pre preached a message about terrorists and stuff and ISIS and stuff, that they're not really our enemies. It, what, what, what is our enemy? It's the, it says, Evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, Mighty powers in this dark world and the evil spirits in heavenly places. The things that's driving ISIS. The things that's driving those people that, are, that have made themselves your enemy. It's not the people itself. We, be, we need to begin to see that people are just people. We were once sinners saved by grace. We were once sinners. We sinned. We looked at other people as a stepping stool we didn't care about other people's feelings. All we cared about is ourselves. We were vengeful, wanted to, uh, we had enemies, and then God showed us a better way. And so now that we know a better way and we know God's love, we know our God's love who said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We are to have that same kind of mentality, that same kind of heart and compassion, and, and we should not make enemies. We should see people as poor lost souls who are being driven by dark forces in the heavenly places, being driven by bad ideologies that come out of the mouth of Satan himself. We, we should begin to see them with compassion and, and pray for their souls and pray that they too would see the light like we did 
And God, would, in his mercy, would be able to save them. As spooky and as powerful as all these dark forces sound, guess what? They're already defeated. They're already defeated. They once had power over us because of our sin. But guess what? Our sins have been wiped away. Colossians 2.14. It says, Jesus counseled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to his cross. In other words, John, he, he took a record of your sins, everything you, you know, it's probably only about this much, you know. Probably a, a computer file about that much. No, <laughs> but no I'm just kidding. No, he, he took the record of your sins, all the things that you had done, and nailed them to his cross. And that's what they did. They would write what the person did wrong, and then they would hang it on the cross above their head. So when people came by, I said, oh, that's, a, that's a, a murderer, or that's a thief. What, it was the record of their wrongs, so the public could see what. And so Jesus is saying, all that you did wrong was written, and I took it and nailed it to my cross, and I paid the price. It says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And he took their power away. He disarmed them. They have no weapons against us. Other than lies. That's all, that, all they can do is try to get us to harm ourselves. See, the devil, he can't come and do anything to you unless God gives him permission. And God's not going to give him permission because you're standing in the full armor of God. And, and so when he comes to you, all he can do is talk to you and lie to you and try to get you off of what God said. And get you speaking negatively and get you to harm in yourself. Get you to lose your faith and fall out of grace and, and begin to get into some mess and into sin, which is going to lead to the wages of sin is death. The devil can't make you sin. He can only encourage, encourage you to and tempt you to. But he can do no harm to you. You can only do it to yourself by listening to him. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly. Thank goodness by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. I thought I'd stop right there because we're talking about a feast. So don't let the devil come up and condemn you about eating the feast that God has prepared for you. Don't let, don't let condemnation say, no, I can't eat from the table of the Lord. I can't drink from the table of the Lord because I don't deserve it. That's false humility. Have some real humility and say, I want everything God has for me because I, I need him. He's everything to me. And I want to I please him. And I see that look in his eyes when he's like my Mimi when she would see me eating that lasagna. The pleasure of getting to bless me. Don't let the enemy keep you from feasting at the Lord's table. I may have told you this before. When I was like grow, growing up in Whitehaven as a going to junior high and high school. I don't remember when it was exactly, but I remember when they opened the Mall of Memphis, or at least I discovered, not the Mall of Memphis, but the Southland Mall, the one in, in Whitehaven is still there today. Do you believe that my friends, when we would walk to the Southland Mall, and I would go in there, and I don't know what the stores were, Sears, Dillard's or something, but I would walk in those malls, and I had such a complex that I was poor because we grew up really poor. I remember times where there would be Four days left to payday, and Mama said, we got a quarter to live on and no food in the pantry. I mean, it was tough times. 
And so when I would go to the Southland Mall, I felt so unworthy to be there. When I walked in, I was thinking the first person who sees me is going to say, what are you doing here? You get out. You don't have no money. I, I don't know. It was just in my head as a kid that that's the way. I, I didn't feel worthy to be in the Southland Mall. But I remember a couple times a year, my grandmother would come up, my Mimi, from Shaw, Mississippi, and she'd come visit us. And she'd take me down to that Southland Mall. And she'd buy me a whole wardrobe full of clothes for, and school stuff and everything that I needed. And, and she would parade me around and get me, you want one of them, hun? Let's get you two of them. And she would take care of me. God doesn't want us just to feel worthy. He wants us to feel special. He wants you to know that you are worthy by the blood of Jesus, but what it cost him, he's made you worthy. And not only that, he don't want you just barely getting by. He wants you special. He wants you to feel special. He wants you to allow him to treat you special. Say, come to the table. Don't let a defeated enemy dictate to you what you deserve in this life. Stop listening to the devil. Don't think for a minute old Slewfoot can stop you from your blessing unless you let him. He has no, no authority to stop you. It's your will that makes the decisions. We were praying here not long ago on a Tuesday night, and, and uh, Laylee, had, the little girl Laylee, she had uh, gone to Florida for a couple weeks, and so we prayed over her that she would be safe and so forth, and it just rose up in me that nobody can touch her. God's got his hand on her. We prayed that out. If God's got his hand on something, if God's got his hand on something, the devil, there's nothing he can do. He says you're in his hand and nobody can snatch you out of his hand. When God's got his hand on it, there's nothing the devil can do. You know the devil is such a flunky. He is so powerless before our God. He has to ask permission to go to the restroom. I mean, he is nothing. He, he's not a, a, a formidable foe to our God at all. He's really not even a formidable foe to us. If we knew our authority in Christ and we acted accordingly, the only reason that he can defeat us is because of our ignorance of the Word of God. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1 says, When you go out to fight your enemies... And you face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. So there's going to be times in this life you're going to look up and say, oh, there's 26 of y'all and only one of me. Well, then we, that's when we need to be like Burt Reynolds in that movie. He did that. He, he said, there's 15 of y'all and only three of us. He said, that's not fair. Y'all going to have to go back and get some more. <laughs> y'all didn't see that movie well that's the way we need to be don't worry if you got more and better horses and chariots than you the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you you remember when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt they didn't have anything they didn't have any weapons and they were up against the whole army of Egypt when you prepare for battle the priest must come forward and speak to the troops and so I'm playing the role of the priest tonight. I'm coming forward and I'm speaking to the troops. He will say to them, listen, all you men of Israel, 
Do not be afraid as you go out to fight your enemies today. Do not lose heart or panic or tremble before them, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies, and he will give you the victory. God and you are a majority against anybody in this world. God is God all by himself. You know that? There's nothing too, too strong for God. Is there anybody who can stand against our God? And if God be for you, who can be against you? You have the victory. You have the victory. It goes on to say that thou anointest my head with oil. Say anointed. Anointest my head with oil. I looked it up. An anointing of oil was used in various ways. Uh, we see many of them in the Bible. All the ways that I found, it was a good sign. You know, you didn't anoint somebody with oil and then kill them or anything like that. There was always good stuff. It was a sign of respect. If you had a guest come to your house, you anointed their head with oil. It was a, a sign. It was used in the healing process, as we found in James 5.14. And we have our oil up here. And we often use it, and you wonder, well, why is he always carrying that oil around? Isn't that a little hokey or something? No, it's not. I mean, some people may look at it, but, but it's in the Bible. And we do what the Bible says. In James 5.14, it says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. So that's clear instructions to me. Many times the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And that's always a good anointing. More of the Holy Spirit. How many of you pray that all the time? Holy Spirit, fill me. Because we know if we walk in the Holy Spirit, we're walking in the power of God. The oil also represents a grateful countenance and a joyous spirit. A grateful countenance and a joyous spirit. Psalms 45, 7 puts it like this. Thou lovest righteousness and hateth wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. In other words, he's anointed you with a, what did I say, a grateful countenance and a joyous spirit more than anybody else. Do you find yourself walking around, thank you, God, thank you, God, giving thanks always, keeping the line of communication, praying without ceasing? Do you find yourself with a joyous countenance God has anointed you with oil above thy fellows because you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. You should. If you don't love righteousness and hate wickedness, then maybe that's why there's no joy and no thankfulness. And the fifth thing I wrote down, it was a rite of inauguration unto the office of king and of priest. So when you became a king or a priest, they anointed you with oil. And what does that say in Revelations 1-7? That he has made us kings and priests unto our God. So you have been anointed with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And, and the funny thing is, is this says on the bottle, oil of gladness. What is it called? Frankincense and myrrh in here. This stuff is expensive. It smells good. It, it, it uh... It's really nothing of itself, but when it's used biblically, I believe 
It does what the Bible says it'll do. God calls us, and he gives us our purpose and our meaning. He anoints us. He anoints us. He gives us joy, a thankful countenance, healing, everything. He anoints us. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and he, uh, he calls us for a purpose greater than ourselves. 2 Corinthians 1.20 I want to read it in the NIV version because it just said it better. Or at least said it closer to the way I wanted to hear it for this particular message. For no matter how many promises God has made, <laughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> so no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through him, amen is spoken to, by us to the glory of God. What that's saying is all the promises of God are yes. If you see it in the Word of God, and it's for you, the promise is yes. He's saying yes. You say, can, can I have that, God? Yes. But, but what about this one? This was big. Surely this isn't from it. Yes. This, one over, this promise over here that says long yes. This promise over here that says more than a, yes. The promises of God are yes and amen. He says yes to them, but you have to say amen. It says, you say the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. When you speak amen to his promise, amen says, so be it. Yes, so be it unto me. As you have described, Lord, so be it unto me. It's for the glory of God. God gets glory when you are blessed. Now, I'm not one of those big prosperity teachers or all that. We're not going into all that. But there's much more kind of prosperity than just finances. And finances is a big part of it. I'm not, it's all of it. And all that spread that we talked about. The joy, the peace, the mercy, the compassion. Everything that God has. He says yes. And we say amen. And it brings him glory. Verse 21 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. See, we're back to anointed, our head with oil. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership upon us. We're owned by the Lord. If you're an owner of something, you want to take care of it. Do you have a car and you just want to run it raggedy? Or would you like to go down to AutoZone and get you some of them nice stickers and put on it or something? I mean, we buy these little fake chrome doodads and put all over our cars, get some new rims, you know, we're putting bigger tires. We want, we want to take care, we want our stuff to look good. And God wants to make us look good. He set his ownership, the seal of his ownership upon us, and he's put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So as good as it sounds down here, it's going to get better when we get to heaven. We just have a deposit of his spirit right now. We have a little bit. We see through a glass darkly. But there's coming a day where we're going to see him face to face. We're going to be with him. And in his presence, his fullness of joy. If you think just a, you get a goosebump or two when you feel a whiff of the Holy Spirit go by in here, wait till you're standing in front of Almighty God in heaven itself. In the real tabernacle. Not the one made with hands. Whoo! It's not entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to get better. Say, come to the table. 
And then it says, my cup runneth over. More than enough. Our God is more than enough. There's no way you can say it. But my God is more than enough. Like that song, he's more than enough. He does supply all my needs. He is the El Shaddai. He looks, the El Shaddai means the God that is more than enough. He is the Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who will provide. He's not stingy. (laughs) When Jesus fed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children, when he fed the 4,000, not counting women and children, guess what? They picked up baskets full of more than enough. They couldn't eat it all. And he came from like one loaf of bread and a couple of fishes. God can find the provision. That's not the problem. Are you willing to eat it? Are you willing to come to the table? He created the whole universe just by the words of his mouth. He can say stuff into existence. We're talking about an awesome God. When Elijah, he called down fire from heaven, them prophets of Baal had been out there all day cutting themselves and bleeding and crying, and Elijah's just making fun of, where's your God? Because they were having a battle to see who could call down fire from heaven, their God, Baal, or our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible. And Elijah said, y'all go first. If I, I have no doubt that if he'd have had some uh, charcoal lighting fluid, he'd have helped them out and spread it on the wood for them. They had an altar set up with wood, and they had the, the uh, sacrifice on it, and they were cutting themselves and screaming and praying to their God. He said, where's your God? He must have been to the bathroom. I don't know where he is. he on vacation? He was laughing at them. 450 prophets. They couldn't do anything. So he, he finally says, all right, y'all had your turn. Let me show you my God. And he got water, and he poured it over the the sacrifice. Water, and he poured it over the wood. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's the way to get a fire started. Water all over the altar. He dug trenches around it and filled that with water. And when he called down fire from our God, guess what happened? Fire came down and consumed the altar, the wood, and the sacrifice, and licked up all the water in the trenches. And the dirt... Our God is more than enough. Because Elijah dared to believe it. And then guess what? Jezebel says she's going to get Elijah. Elijah runs off. He's scared now of a woman. He just saw God do this. He just challenged 450 priests. And now he runs off. And he's starving to death by this brook. And God still feeds him with the ravens. So look, there's going to be times when you're high on your faith and God's going to bless you. He's going to do miraculous things and there are going to be times where life has beat you down and you're scared of a little little girl. And God's still going to supply for you because he knows you're coming back around. He knows you're going to have days when you're just a little bit down. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in the fire and Jesus got in there with them. And when they got out, they didn't even smell like smoke. God can get you out of some stuff. God can take care of you. He can get you through any situation. He can provide water in the desert. And then he can part the water if you need to go through on dry ground. He can do both. Which one do you need at the time? He can stop a plague or he can start a plague. Our God is able. What do you need? He can save save you from hungry lions. Let you sleep comfortably on the belly of a lion. All night. Or he can 
He can uh, sustain you in the belly of a whale for three days. He can do it. What can he, what, what's too difficult for my God? Come on. He'll give you more time if you need it to finish your battle. Joshua was in a battle, and he ran, it was getting dark, and he said, God, we need more time. God moved the sun back 10 degrees. He moved the sun back. And then, when it was time for somebody to find the Savior, he lined the stars together and led them right to a little place in Bethlehem. He can move the sun and the stars at will. We're talking about a mighty God here. He can cause you to catch your limit on either side of the boat. And if you owe a lot of money to Caesar, he can pull the coin out of the mouth of a fish and pay it off. He can get you out of trouble. He can show you mercy. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can deliver the demon-possessed. He can steal a storm or he can walk on one. It don't matter to him. Neither one of them scare him. He ain't afraid of a storm. He can sleep right through one. If you'll let him, he ain't worried. He raised himself from the dead. Surely he can raise you from the dead. <laughs> God is not trying to withhold from us. He's trying to get abundance to us so that we can spill over into somebody else's life. He wants your cup running over. He don't want to give you just enough to get by. He wants you shouting and praising. He wants you telling the world how good your God is. He wants you healthy and whole, blessed, in your right mind, quick, sharp, powerful, relaxed, joyous, peaceful, full of his love. Everywhere you go, say, come to the table. Let's finish up. Let's read on Isaiah 55, and I'll close. Isaiah 55. We're going to start from the first verse, and we're going to read the whole thing, because it's that good. Don't you just think the Word of God is that good? See, it's so good, you got to tell everybody. It's like a good movie you saw. you go, you got to tell everybody. I see y'all on Facebook and stuff. You're posting scriptures all the time. It's because it's that good. You got to tell everybody. We, we must get on their nerves bad, you know. The unbelievers are like, man, I don't want no Christians on my site. All they do is post uh, scriptures. It's that good. <laughs> it's that good. Yeah, absolutely. It's that good. You can't, you can't hold it in. Woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel, Paul said. Isaiah 55, is anyone thirsty? Now we're talking about a feast here. Come and drink. Even if you have no money. So you can't pay for this. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. He's saying, listen to me. Are you listening? Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, 
I will give you <coughs> all the unfailing love I have promised to David. You've already entered into that covenant more than likely when you gave your heart to Jesus. See how I used to display my power among the peoples? I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. And people unknown to you will come running to obey. Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. He makes you shine for him. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. See, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not excited about punishing anybody. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. Can you attest to that? He did me. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, and my ways are higher than your ways, and, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Thank goodness. We'd be in serious trouble. The rain and the snow come down from heaven and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow and produce seed for the farmer. As long as the earth remains, there'll be seed time and harvest. He is providing. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever just thought how the food continues to grow on this planet? We eat it up, and you'd think that'd be it, but it comes back again. You plant one little seed, and you get a big old ear of corn, a whole bunch of stalk full of corn. How does God, how does the dew stay on the ground and then go up to heaven and then come back down as rain? How is this whole thing happening? It's just not by coincidence. They cause grain to grow and produce seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. He says, now you see how the seed produces and it feeds you? It's the same with my word. It will always produce fruit. It will always accomplish what I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. It will always accomplish what he sent it to do. If he says it will do it, it will do it. And it will prosper where he sent it. You will live in joy and peace and the mountains and the hills will burst into song. In fact, Go ahead and play, start that video, that last one, Good, Good Father. The mountains and the hills will burst into song. And the trees of the field will clap their hands where there once were thorns, cypress trees will grow. That's, that's a picture of my life. I was once a thorn. And now I'm growing into something. I'm putting roots down in the Lord. Now I'm growing like an oak beside the mighty waters. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. He gets great honor by seeing you raised up, becoming strong, a tower, a cedar of Lebanon. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and his love. When these things happen, when he sees your life changing, when he sees your generational curses broken, when he sees your family healthy and whole and loving one another and, and all the bickering and the fighting and the cussing stop, when he sees we loving one another and being the light of the world, it will just display his power and his love and what he can do. If he can do it through a bunch of knuckleheads like us, what can't he do? That's probably his toughest task. He can swing the stars in existence pretty easy. That was easy compared to working with us. But if he can do it in us, he can do anything.
That's, I think it, he put us here as a challenge. <laughs> I think we are his greatest challenge. Even the Christians, we're, we're a great challenge to God to keep us on the straight and narrow. Now, is there anybody in here that doesn't know the Lord that would want to raise their hand and say, I want him as my good, good father? I want, because look, you're born in the sin. And you have no relationship to him till you make him Lord of your life, till he comes into your heart and becomes your savior. So if you haven't done that, that's the first step. Make him God of your life. Not just God of the world, but God of your life. Make him Lord. Say, Jesus, be my Lord. If you've never done that, raise your hand and let's pray together. Anybody? listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.